0: Well, my name is Adrian, and I'm one of the pastors here at Carney E. Free. If you're watching online at kearneyefree.com, welcome. Welcome to everyone here in the auditorium. We are uh, kind of rounding the corner, the very final corner in the Gospel of John. As you heard already, we'll be in John chapter 20 today, and here's where we're going from today. Uh, today is going to be on responses to the resurrection message and then next Sunday is going to be about the God of second chances. Anyone else in this room need second chances sometimes? Okay, I think we all do. And so next Sunday's message is going to be a critically important message. I encourage you to come for that as we look at the God of second chances who reinstates even in spite of our failures. And uh, looking forward to that message. I'm also grateful that we can celebrate Christmas and resurrection at the same time, though, this year. In the, doesn't the church look beautiful? So thankful for our volunteers who did so much work to put this together last week. A whole bunch of volunteers came into this building on Tuesday, worked all day, and then just did a ton of work out in the lobby, in this room, and over in the venue, and the place looks awesome. So many thanks to those volunteers for uh, the work they did to, to put us in the Christmas spirit. It doesn't feel like Christmas yet outside, does it? Man, maybe Maybe someday. <laughs> Right now, I'm enjoying August in Nebraska. (laughs) Okay, well, um, we are going to turn to uh, John chapter 20 this morning. But here, let, let let me begin with this. You know, every Christmas and every Easter, I have this habit that I've gotten into that I go through the grocery checkout lines. And as I go through the grocery checkout lines, I'm looking for certain magazines. Not the National Enquirer as important as that is, not for the gossip column on Britney Spears or Ariana Grande or whoever else you're into, as important as they all are. I'm not really looking for their gossip. What I'm looking for in December and in late March as we approach Easter is some magazine that inevitably comes out from Life or from Time magazine or Newsweek when it was still being published that speaks to how we would reinterpret Jesus for our own modern ears. And it always occurs at this time of year that some magazine publishes something like this, which I got on a local newsstand uh, this past week at one of our local grocery stores, that uh, something new is published to say, here's how you can reinterpret the resurrection. Here's how you can reinterpret the virgin birth. For our modern, enlightened 21st century ears, here's a new way of looking at Jesus. This one asks the question, who do you say that I am? And as you parse through the pages, basically the answer is, whoever you want him to be. That's typically the answer far from these magazines at this time of year. This one concludes with a quote from an Ivy League scholar over at Dartmouth University, and he writes, a professor of religion named Peter Bean, he writes, the gospel writers were creating a moral tale around a real man. They had their reasons. I realize much of what they wrote was not literal history. I realize much of what we know about Jesus is novelistic, but I act like it isn't. In other words, what they're saying is the virgin birth never happened, the resurrection of Jesus never happened, but they can still be useful myths for us today. I act like they happened. Inevitably, as you read these magazines, what you see is this revisionist response that is quite different than the response of the church across the millennia. The revisionist response always seems to make Jesus a social activist who wandered the countryside doing random acts of kindness to people, asking people to be nice and to share their snacks. (laughs) And while the virgin birth and the resurrection are only myths, There are such great myths that speak to us about innocence and about spring renewal that we will hold on to their meaning some way, even though we know they're not true. Now, the response of the church across 2,000 years has been quite different than that. Whether it be the Greek or Eastern Orthodox Church, or the Roman Catholic Church, or Protestant churches like ours, the response of the church consistently, going all the way back to the first century, has always been different than that. It said, yes, Jesus was a social activist, but so much more. Yes, he was a really great teacher, but so much more. He was God in flesh. God chose to come and draw near to us. He incarnated human form. And at Christmas, we celebrate the reality of a real virgin birth that Jesus was conceived not by a man, but by the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus lived this perfect life and he died for our sins. And the grave couldn't hold him. On the third day, he literally rose bodily from the grave. He was buried in a well-known tomb by a man named Joseph of Arimathea, but that tomb couldn't hold him. He rose again. And this is what the church has unanimously said all the way back to the first century. And so it's always so curious to me as a habit, come this time of year, to see... The new revisionist ideas that are so enlightened, so much more so than those witnesses in the first century. Okay, I'll drop the sarcasm now. <laughs> Last Sunday, if you had an opportunity to join us, our, our ministry resident, Hushai Severe gave a wonderful message on why we would believe that the resurrection actually happened. And if you weren't here for Hushai's message, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. He gave us three reasons to believe that the resurrection is a fact of history. Let me just remind us of those. The tomb is empty. Number two, Jesus appeared to the disciples, and not just to the disciples. He also appeared to 500 others, believers and skeptics alike, Jews and Romans alike, and their lives were transformed as they believed in the resurrection of Christ. They exchanged what they had done in the Judaism of their day. All that they had been taught, they exchanged that for a new religious belief based on a dying and rising Messiah. If you haven't heard that message, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Hushai did a great job. Last week, the question was, why believe in the resurrection? Today, the question is, how do we respond? How do we respond to the truth of the resurrection. Because Christianity teaches that all of history turns on the axis of what happened between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And there's good evidence to believe that it actually happened. Get back here. (laughs) So how do we respond to the resurrection? Turn with me again, if you haven't already, to John chapter 20 and we'll pick up the story there at verse 11. Now Mary Magdalene stood outside the tomb crying. She's crying because she had followed Christ and she believes he's dead and this movement is over. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary, Mary saw the resurrected Christ, and then she goes forward to do just what he tells her to do, and she shares the news. She becomes the very first evangelist for the resurrected Christ. She shares the news with the disciples, and the disciples basically say to Mary, you're crazy. This is the first possible response that we might have to the resurrection. We'll see that in Judges a moment, that we might respond to, to the resurrection, Um, I don't think so, you're crazy. Now all of the gospels record the same thing with a number of different details thrown in. It's that there were a group of four women along with the apostle John who were last at the cross, there with Jesus at his hour of greatest need. The women were last at the cross, but they were first at the grave. And these women, being first to the grave, though they encounter the resurrected Christ, then they go and they tell the disciples, and the disciples' response to the ladies went something like this. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Insert eye roll. Like, people don't rise from the grave. In fact, the book of Luke puts it this way as... There's a number of ladies there that have, incurred, that have encountered the, the resurrection. And it says this, Luke 24, the women told these things to the apostles, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. This is nonsense, they said. Like people don't pry themselves out of their coffins and then walk out of the funeral home. This is nonsense. They called it an idle tale. They thought of Mary and the other ladies, perhaps, as gullible women who are easily tricked. you got to understand there's a huge cultural gap between that first-century culture and our culture. In the first century, in Roman and Jewish culture, women did not have a right to vote. Women could not testify in a court of law. Women were not educated. And so as a result, they were oftentimes considered more gullible or less than... Culturally speaking, they had no credibility at all. Now, let me ask you this question. We got any fibbing experts in this room here today? Okay, if you're a fibbing expert, please don't raise your hand. If you were a fibbing expert, would you gather non credible witnesses as a defense of the tall tale that you were making up? Of course not. I am not a fibbing expert, I promise but I would not gather those who have no credibility around me if I was making up a tall tale. The only reason to believe that women were the very first witnesses to the resurrection is because they were. It was a fatal flaw if the disciples were making up this story as these magazines I referenced want to imply The only reason to believe that women were the first ones at the tomb, the first witnesses of the resurrected Christ, was because they actually were. You understand, it was Jesus who chose to appear to the women first. It was Jesus who chose to affirm women within a culture that did not affirm women, it was an embarrassing fact for the men that he appeared to them first, but it actually increases the reliability of the recorded events. You simply would not make up these witnesses if you're fabricating a story. Here's a few facts. Let me just review them. The tomb is empty, Jesus appeared to a number of women. It was an embarrassing fact, but it's recorded that way because this is how it happened. Then he appeared to a number of his disciples. His disciples believed, and as they believed, their entire lives were transformed by this belief in a dying and rising Messiah. By the way, I would just say that if you encounter the resurrection evidence, the evidence fought for the resurrection of Christ, and you just kind of say, eh, whatever, let's go get another latte. If that's what you do, that's the craziest thing you could do. That's like the craziest response to the evidence of the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. Eh, whatever. I'm just going to go on doing my life the way I want to do my life because Jesus says eternity is on the line. Now, second response would go like this. It might be true, but I doubt it. I doubt it. The disciples, of course, were devastated that Jesus died on this cross. It was for over three years that they had abandoned their fishing businesses. They had abandoned the tax collecting businesses that they had. They left their, their father's businesses to follow Jesus and then all of a sudden he was crucified on a tree. And so they're devastated. Jesus appears first to the ladies. They believe. The ladies bring the message to the disciples. They don't believe initially. But then Jesus appears to the disciples on a number of occasions, and they believe. And he says to them, Go, I am sending you now. As the Father sent me, I am sending you to go be my disciples in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And if you know history from there, they did. They went. They encountered the resurrection. And they realize our doubts have been overcome, and they went. But there was one who wasn't quite so sure, right? There was one who still needed more evidence. And we see his story in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came and visited them. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands... And I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side. I'm telling you, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Do you notice how often Jesus greets people with peace? He's a peacemaker. Jesus is a peacemaker. He comes to the house and says, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out. And put your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, I worship you. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen but still have believed. Blessed are those who encounter the evidence. And based on the evidence, they take a step toward belief themselves. It's a beautiful scene, isn't it? It's a beautiful, beautiful interaction between Jesus and Thomas in the scene. And I think it would be helpful for us to simply admit that our natural response, if we get away from our experience in church, our natural response to this news that someone has risen physically far from the grave would be doubt. Like if a friend came to you and said, I have a friend who has risen far from the grave, you would doubt it, wouldn't you? Quite obviously, So we like to kind of poke fun at Thomas, but Thomas probably responded much in the same way as we would respond in a similar circumstance. He says, unless I can put my hands where the nails went through and put my hands where the nails went through his feet and put it in the side where that spear went through and pierced his heart and pierced his lungs, unless I can do that, I don't care how many of you say you have witnessed the resurrected Christ, I am not believing it. You see, resurrection was as difficult for people to believe back then as it would be for skeptics to believe today. But what I would like to say here is that Thomas had these doubts, and he asked for help. He said, I would like to have more evidence. And what did Jesus do? He gave more evidence. Okay, so... We have this tendency to think of Thomas in this negative kind of way. What do we call him? Doubting Thomas. Thomas. And sometimes we even refer to people who do not believe as doubting Doubting Thomases. Don't do that. Don't do that. Like Jesus, what he does when people don't believe, when people are curious, when they're asking questions like Thomas was, is he gently comes to them and he answers their questions. And how about for us? Isn't that what we would do? We don't berate someone as a crazy, stupid liberal. We go to them where they are and we answer their questions. Okay, this is the way of Christ, is to meet people right where they are, in the midst of their doubts, in the midst of their questions, and to gently love them there. We have this tendency to think that God would be angry in some way, well, with a doubter. But Jesus was not angry, well, with Thomas. He didn't fear Thomas. He didn't fear other people who asked questions. He loved and answered those genuine questions. And then he invited people to take a step of faith based on the evidence, and this is what we would do as well as we go on mission for Christ. We would give people evidence, the evidence of our changed lives, the evidence of our hope. We would also give them the evidence for the resurrection, and we would invite them to take a step of faith based on the evidence. Thomas did that. Jesus was gentle with him, and then Thomas believed. And the result of that was Thomas went off to India and gave his life up for the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, I just believe those witnesses who get no personal benefit from their stories. How about you? They got no personal benefit. What they got for their story was death. But the blood of the martyrs became the seed of the church as they went off into all the world, testifying to what God had done for them. Ours is a faith that is deeply rooted in history. My friends, if Christ's bones are still in the grave somewhere under Israel's dirt, then his followers are in a pitiful situation. This is the way the Apostle Paul put it. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It's a waste. You're still in your sins. You haven't been able to deal with your sins if Christ has not been raised. Because a wish won't do much for you long term. A myth won't do much for me long-term. A convenient lie won't do much for us long-term. But if the tomb is really empty, if his bones cannot be found, then the result is this, Christmas is true. It means that Christmas becomes more than sappy sentimentality this year. It means that Christ drew near to you. He loves you. He chose to draw near to you. He chose to die for you. It means he justifies your firm and confident trust in him because he was resurrected from the grave. And so we take this step, this reasoned step of belief based on the evidence. We say, I believe. I believe. This is the third response. This is the most reasonable response. I believe. And I don't believe in a wish. I don't believe in myself. I'm telling you I don't. I know myself too well to believe in that. I don't believe in the goodness of humanity. I don't believe in a myth. I believe in Jesus Christ who died for me a sinner and rose again to make me a saint. That's what I believe. Here's verse 30. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book Man, I don't know about you. I can't wait to get to heaven and ask him about some of those other signs. How about you? Man, there's going to be some good stuff to learn about in heaven. It will not be boring, I promise you. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. And so God gives us these wonderful miracles that are recorded in the Gospels, so that we would have good reasons to to believe, we would have beautiful images of Jesus well with these wonderful miracles, and the greatest of all miracles, of course, is his resurrection. And so Mary Magdalene is our exemplar of faith in this passage. She encounters the resurrected Christ, and what does she do? Tears begin coursing down her cheeks, and the wisp of a smile comes across her mouth as she extends her arms and says, Rabboni, teacher, it's you. And she goes to give her Messiah a hug, and he gives her a hug, and then he tells her, You go and tell the brothers. You go tell them this message that everything I said is true, that I did die for them, and I did rise again to justify your firm belief. And you go tell them this: go be my witnesses. Friends, this is us. Go be my witnesses. It's us in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And they did. And they did. And so the gospel message went out to the Middle East and to India and to North Africa and to Europe and eventually to the United States, such that you've heard the message and you've been transformed by the message, perhaps, and I've been transformed by the message, and now I also am a sheepdog for Jesus, a steward of the message, and I pray that you are as well. This is the simple message with the most important question that you will ever answer. In which Jesus says in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives and believes in me won't die. When you die, you'll go straight to heaven. The question is, do you believe? Do you believe this? That's the operative question that Jesus would give to each and every one of us, do we believe And if you believe that, you're going to have solid hope through the sufferings that inevitably come in this world. This is a painful time. It's a painful time for so many of us. It's been a painful time for me. I've experienced deeply over the past couple years, just as you have, and I've had struggles, even recently, with, with hope. And I have to return again and again to the reality that there will be great suffering in my life, but there is hope which is greater. And hope has the final word. And I trust in that. Many of you don't know my story. Some of you do. I'm going to share just a little bit of it right now. I was 17 years old. I was raised in a family that uh, didn't go to church much. And I started to explore the big questions that from one time or another, most of us ask. Like, where do we come from? Do we come from a primordial sludge? Or did God make us for a purpose? Where are we going when we die? Is this the end of it here, and then we're just eaten by worms, or is there something better on the other side? What is meaning in life? What is morality in life? How do I deal with the stuff that I know I've done wrong? Because there are many. I started asking those questions, and as I did, I was reading a number of books that would be considered holy books in Buddhism or in Hinduism and then nothingness books from existential atheism, and I started reading the Bible, as some friends gave me that as well, and I got lost by by the time I got to the book of Leviticus, and I put it down, but fortunately, I was told also to read the book of Matthew, and I did that, and I was captivated by by Jesus, and in the midst of that, someone gave me another book that helped me come to some kind of answer to the difficult questions though, that I was asking, really simple book that I could recommend to all of you, particularly if you're asking questions today. It's just called More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell. And I read that as a teenager, and it was significant enough for me to believe that God in Christ provides the very best answers to the big questions that I was asking. And it was significant enough for me to believe that there's very good reasons to believe that God literally in time and space rose Jesus from the grave and therefore I cannot just shoo him off as yet another good teacher. I actually have to do business with what he said. And so I started at least to believe in Jesus Intellectually. I believe that God rose Jesus fell from the dead intellectually. But it was a few years later when I was in college, just down the road here at Hastings College in a cramped dormitory up on a bunk bed that I really came face to face with my failures and with the question, what do I do with these? Like I can't make up for the wrong things I've done by doing a bunch of good things. If you appear before a judge with all kinds of good things you've done, He doesn't care about that. He judges you on the basis of the wrong things you've done. So what do I do with all the wrong things that I know that I had done? And so I was processing through that, and I started to feel this sense of meaninglessness. And on the outside, I might have been happy enough, but on the inside, I was melancholy. And on the outside, I might have played a humble tune, but on the inside, I thought I was better than other people. On the outside, I didn't judge people, I was nice enough to people, but on the inside, I played judge and jury over people. You know what I'm talking about? That kind of person. And the difference came when in the midst of that time at Hastings College, in that bunk bed, I went to this pastor friend of mine and a wonderful older man, and I just asked him, what do I do with all of this? All these Big mistakes I've made. What do I do with these? And literally, my question for him was Am I going to hell? And he looked me in the eyes and he loved me and he didn't judge me and he told me about the love of Christ and the grace of God as revealed by the cross, nothing I could earn. And I started to encounter for the very first time that God loves me, not on the basis of what I could be, but what I am and that he forgives me right where I am, and I can live out of that. And then there began this wonderful journey from up here to down here. I started to believe, not just intellectually, but at a heart level, that Jesus Christ loved me enough that he would die even for me, a sinner, that he would turn me into a saint as I trusted in him. And I am here to tell you that he's been resurrecting my life ever since. Yeah. And y'all don't clap for me, you clap for God because he's the one that resurrects lives. He resurrects lives. And all I can tell you is that melancholy slowly turned into hope. And I still can fight with it. And so I have to go back to this reality that in the end, God is gonna make things right. In this world, there will be trouble, but in him, there is peace. In the end, God will make things right. And I've moved away from this pride to more of a humility, and I'm not there, there. I'm not there yet. There are no experts in humility, right? I'm not there yet, any expert in humility certainly isn't. Okay, but I moved from some of that pride to some humility, and I moved away from being judge and jury over people's lives to just being compassionate and meeting people right where they are and realizing my job is not to be judge over anyone. My job is simply to love people where they are and compassionately meet them with the love of Christ and to be present with people as they are because we're really all the same. We put our pants on the same way. We need the same God. We need the same God who would forgive us and love us and give us hope forevermore. And this slowly but surely transformed me from the inside out. I'm just telling you, it's the resurrection hope that gets us through our dark hours, whatever they might be today. It's not based on a wish or a myth. It's based on the truth that the tomb is still empty. And I don't know about you, but I just need hope. I just need hope to make it through this world. And it's been said that humans, humans actually have the capacity to live for 40 days without food. And humans can live for four days without water. And humans can live for four minutes underwater. But we can only live for about four seconds without hope. We so desperately need hope because the existential angst from this world digs into our souls and we wrestle with the meaninglessness of it all. And so you have to have this firm foundation, this cornerstone, which is the reality of the crucifixion for your sins and the resurrection from the grave out of which we stand in confidence. Now, I mean, some of us today, you're gonna to respond to this message and you're just gonna kind of go through the church motions and you're gonna have that first response that I said, mm, whatever. Where are we going to lunch? Some of you gonna do that. And I'm telling you, that's the craziest response. (laughs) Because if Christ has risen far from the grave, he needs to be dealt with. And other people are going to respond to this, and they're going to say, you know, I still have a lot of doubts. I still have a lot of questions. Great. That's okay to have questions. Just don't be hardened by those questions. Jesus says, ask and you will find, seek, and it will be given to you. Okay, so don't be hardened by those questions. Perhaps you would take it upon you to read that book that I just referenced, More Than a Carpenter. There's lots of great resources out there that help us to understand that there are valid reasons to believe that Christianity is actually true. It makes the best sense of life, and it makes the best sense of what happened back in AD 33. If you have doubts, will you explore them, or will you allow yourself to be hardened in those doubts? Or third, we might respond and say, yeah, in spite of all the challenges that I go through, even in spite of some of my questions that haven't yet been answered, I believe. He is the resurrection and the life, and in spite of all my suffering, I trust in him, and so I trust my future to him, and there is hope. Beyond this world, into the age to come, I'm putting my coins in his basket, I'm going with Jesus. And I pray that you would as well. And my friends, it's as simple as this, okay? Maybe you respond to this message and you say, I don't, I don't even know how to do that, but I would like to, to become a follower of Christ, and I just want to tell you that. I don't want to put any pressure on anyone. But if you're in the spot right now that you say, I don't have all my questions answered, but I would like to respond, I would like to say, I want to follow you, Jesus. It's as simple as this, ready? It goes like this. You admit that you've done some things wrong, The Bible calls that sin, and that's all of us, 100% of us in this room, no judgment on any of that. You admit that you've done some things wrong. You ask God to forgive you of that, that's A. Admit you've done some things wrong. B is believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, that he died on a cross for those sins to freely bring you to God. Not on the basis of anything you bring to the table, just on the basis of his mercy. Believe, admit, believe, and then finally is commit. You commit yourself to following him. Commit yourself to say, I will do what you call me to do. I will live out of your love and I will obey you. I will treat you not just as a savior, but I will treat you as Lord. And if you do that, even today, you can be confident that in the same way God rose Jesus far from the dead, you will have life eternal forevermore. You are his son or daughter. That's the offer. Let's pray. Perhaps you'll respond. Oh, Father in heaven, how we thank you for the priceless gift of Jesus. I don't want to follow religion. I got no interest. I want to follow Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so, Father, I have friends in this room, and together we're coming to you, and we ask that you would just receive us as we are. We're not all put together. We're ordinary folks with all different kinds of really big problems, and we ask that you would take us right where we are. Thank you, Lord, that you love us and you want us to live out of your love with hope. Thank you, Father, that you don't call us to believe in a wish or a myth, but you call us to believe in something that's based on great evidence, that we would take a step of faith on the basis of that evidence. Thank you, Lord, this is true. Father, I pray for any friends in here that are admitting right now, I have sinned, and I need forgiveness. Perhaps you would do that even now. I pray for any in these room, in this room or any online, that would say, "I believe Jesus died for my sin." he is Savior I don't have all my questions answered but I believe he is Savior I believe he rose again in all glory and so I commit to following him because he's not meant to just be Savior who makes us feel good he's also meant to be Lord whom we would follow And so we commit ourselves to you. We admit that we're still sinners. We believe that you died for us. We commit ourselves now to following you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for giving your all for us to bring us to God. Thank you that through your life we have hope, both now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.